What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Huh? Let's try that again. <laughs> Y'all have a good New Year's? Everybody good? Yeah. All right, awesome, awesome. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about ghost stories in just a few minutes, so I'm not going to give you much time at the beginning on that. But I am very, very, very excited about that. But let me just jump right in because I got a ton to cover. If you are here and you're a guest, we are so honored and pumped up that you're here with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us as our guests. So excited. Uh, how many of y'all, would, can y'all just show me your hands or hoot and holler or whatever, would love to have, honestly, the best, most impactful year of your lives? How many of y'all? Whoa. Best, most impactful. That, that's good. Like four of you lied. And if you don't want that, this is not really a good message for you and we need some like medicine for you. But like, like it, we all, if we're being honest, like this is kind of the honest day where we just put our cards on the table. If we're being honest, don't we want to be not miserable and have the greatest years of our lives? Like, don't we want to be that? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is me putting it all out there, and some of y'all might be offended by this, and that's good because that's um, kind of the goal. So um, anyone in this room, I need everybody to get this, anyone in this room that calls themselves a Christ follower, and if you're not a Christian, we're so excited that you're here, and there's going to be parts of this for you. But I need y'all to, to I need, if you're not a Christian right now, I, I want you to listen to me, but you can just kind of sit to the side right now and listen to what I'm saying, but this is kind of not for you. Anybody that's a Christian in this room, this message right here is, is like a, a draw the line in the sand, this is it message. This is it right here. This is the message, okay? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Right now, today, we're going to decide what we are. And we're going to tell the world this is truly what we are. Because so many of us sit in a seat every week or we say to people or we put on social media, I am a Christian. And yet with our lifestyles, with what we do and with with how we, we, we go out and do what we do, we deny it. We don't show the world this is this is who I am and this is why I am what I am and this is everything to me. What it really becomes is I'm just going to come in here, hang out, do my church thing, get God off my back, it's good for the rest of the week. Or my New Year's resolution is, excuse me, is to go to church. I'll give God like an hour a week, that's cool. But to give God everything, that's kind of weird. And, and here's a pastor I read this week, this is what he said, and I thought it was brilliant. This is what he said. We, the body of Jesus Christ, the people that are sitting in chairs right now, I don't care if you are in the sixth grade, or if you're 75 years old, we, the body of Jesus Christ, are either imposters and liars, or we're missionaries. We are on mission to change the world with the gospel that is in us, or we're imposters. And, and listen, do you, you know the reason that I believe the church has been in decline? And I don't mean Four Points Church, I mean the church, Big C, in decline in this country since the 1980s. Do you know why I believe that's the case? Imposters. And I'm not calling me out or you out individually. I'm saying as a group, as a whole, we're imposters. Because we don't really believe what we say. Now listen, I want y'all to get this because I'm not calling anybody out individually. This is my my deepest conviction in my life right now. We say that we believe it. I preach that I believe it. But when I live my life, I deny that I believe it. This is what I deny I believe. Do I really believe in my life that the God that we serve, that the God that we sing about, I'm not ashamed of the one who saved my soul. That he's greater 
and more powerful, more amazing. Do I really believe that that God is capable of using me? Do I really believe that God is capable of using each and every one of us? Is that like, really? Like, do I really believe that God can change the world through us? Or is that just something that sounds cool for a pastor to say? And it's kind of cliche. And that's what I've been wrestling with. And guys, I want y'all to get this. Don't miss it. I believe that not only, like, do I think it's true and it'd be cool to preach about, with every fiber of this guy right here, I believe that. But here's the catch, all right? Here's the recipe for how I believe we can have the year that will change everything in our lives. I do believe it affects four points, but listen to me, listen to me. This is not about four points. This is much bigger than four points. This is about you. This is about your home. This is about your workplace and your neighborhood. This is about you and your school. This is much bigger than just four points. I do believe selfishly, and it's a good selfish, that it will affect us because if God's people come together, it's going to change a church. But this is much bigger than just one body of people. This is for your whole lives. This, is a, this affects thousands of people in this room because of how many people you know and influence. <clears throat> when I was in college, excuse me, when I was in college, I wrote a paper. And uh, the paper was titled, How to Change the World. And I had it all figured out because I was 19. And so I wrote this paper and I was going to change the world. Like I had these ambitions and I really meant it, that I was going to change the world with the gospel. And I wrote in this paper, I want to be a part, be a part of a movement of God that's bigger than anything Paul and any of the disciples and apostles ever saw. And I meant it. Like, guys, I was zealous and excited and really meant in my life that I wanted that, but, but I missed a very important principle. And this is crazy, and it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I don't want you to miss this. It is not about me. It is not about Mark. It, listen, it does not have anything to do with me on the deepest level. And here's why. God can choose to use any and everything that he wants to choose. Like God chose to use a donkey in the Bible. That gives me great hope. If he can use that donkey, he can use this donkey, right? That's awesome. That's good, right? But he doesn't, listen, listen, he doesn't have to have me at all. This is the part that's so freeing, though, and this is the balance. This is the weird tension that I don't really understand. So many times, miracles, great things, movements of God, even though he doesn't, and listen, he doesn't need us. He chooses to almost, let me, let me repeat, almost always use his people. Almost always. Listen, just look through the Bible. Just look through the Bible. If you want proof, the proof's in the pudding. Almost every miracle, not every miracle, almost every single miracle, God chose to use someone's faith in the feeding of the 5,000, a very common uh, miracle that people know. He, a young boy brought his five loaves and two fish. God could have just looked at rocks, right, and gone, I'm God, I'm Jesus standing on this mountain, just get a bunch of food, right? But he chooses to take the faith of his people and make much of it. And so here's the deal, and this is what I want y'all to get. If y'all walk away with nothing else, get this. I believe that we can see great, amazing moves of God, not just a church. I need y'all to listen. Not just a church. Not just, I'm not trying to build a big church in this room today. I'm trying for you to, and me to stop missing the miracles in my life, but the miracle depends on you. The miracle depends on you. The God 
of the universe, the miracle worker, the one that can at any moment give miracles out. I do not believe he stopped the miracle business. He lives inside, listen, he lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. That is weird, that's crazy that we have God with us, inside of us in his Holy Spirit. Yet, yet, we don't really believe the miracle depends, or the miracle depends on us. It's what we believe depends on us. Paying my bills, right? That depends on me. Y'all know what I mean? That's a good time to say, yep. If you pay bills and you didn't say yep just now, I need to know your secret because it's stressful, right? The, the miracle depends on me sometimes just means I don't know how I'm going to pay my car payment, right? And we, we, we get so minute. And listen, if y'all aren't like this, this is stinking awesome. I need y'all to talk to me because when y'all don't, I feel like my fly's undone. Like, I, but, but listen, so many times in our lives, the miracle that we ask for is so minute because we, our world revolves around us. And it looks like everything's falling apart in my life. God, I just need this to happen. And we miss so many God-sized, amazing things that could happen because we're so focused on us and we're so focused on being in charge of our lives. Today, I want to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it, my perspective changed so much about three months ago when I was in Israel. Standing on Mount Carmel, you have this guy named Elijah who had just become the prophet of God. Just become the prophet of God. And he bursts onto the scene. The king at this time is Ahab. And he bursts onto the scene. And the very first thing that he does is say, hey, King Ahab, guess what? It's not going to rain or even do until my mouth by the voice of God says that it will. In 1 Kings chapter 17, he says, it's not going to rain nor do until I say. He didn't give a time period. He just said it's not going to. And then because he was nervous, I got my Holy Spirit rag today. Because it was nervous, because he was nervous, he had to hide. He went to this place called the Brook Cherith or Cherith. Ravens fed him. Then he hides some more. He goes into towns that he had no business being in. God does miracles. And we fast forward three and a half years. <clears throat> it had not rained or dude for three and a half years. Now, y'all stay with me. If it has not rained or dude for three and a half years, what do we have? Wow, y'all are almost with me. What do we have? A drought, right? It's awful. Today, in this town, we do not have a drought. Y'all read me? We have freaking cats and dogs everywhere. It's coming down, right? But it's hard for us to picture when it's raining really hard outside what it's like to have a drought. But, but if you remember back, sometimes in the summertime, like they'll tell you not to water your grass and people are still out there watering it and they put limits on how much. And when we were kids, it was hard to even make sure you had enough water and like we'd be nervous and you're supposed to only take a certain amount of showers and all this weird stuff. And I still took one every day because I stink. But like, anyway, like, like things happen and every once in a while, We'll have small droughts where our lakes are down, and it's devastating, right? Because I have to move my boat back or something like that. Like, we don't really understand a drought. And, and part of the reason we don't understand a drought, like, really is because dew is something we take for granted. But in Israel, dew is something they pray for for six months out of the year because it does not rain for six months. It's, it's a rainy season and a dry season. Right now is the rainy season over there. The dry season ended in October. And when they saw the first rain, this is not biblical. This is not, they, they cried. The people cried. And I was like, weirded out because our God is crying. And he's like, you don't understand. We pray. We, we, we so desperately want to see rain that every morning we pray for dew because it provides nutrients and water for the ground and all this stuff. If that has not happened 
in three and a half years. Cracks are in the ground. It looks like the Wild West when they're walking through. The, the, it's just disgusting, and there's already lots and lots of desert everywhere. And so it is as dry and barren as you can imagine. And finally, God's people decided we have to have a showdown. And Ahab said, you know what? I'm tired of this. Whoever's God can bring fire down from heaven, that's the true God. That's the God that I'll believe. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, 850 prophets, some from Baal, some from others, came together, 850 of them, and they circled this, this, this altar that they had made. And all they had to do was make fire come down from heaven. And here's the thing. I want you all to get this. We're talking about miracles today. Is it a miracle if it hasn't rained in a desert and you got wood for three and a half years? I feel like I could sneeze real good and cause a, a firestorm. Y'all know what I mean? Like, I know my kid, is, he's pretty into stuff anyway. But I believe if I gave Haston just like a couple rocks, we could start a fire in three and a half years, no rain. <coughs> Pardon me, and no rain in Israel. I believe we could start a fire. I believe my boy's pretty... Hyper, and we could start a fire in Israel. So, so the miracle, it's like a weird miracle. Why is this that hard? Except that it was coming from heaven, and I get all that, but you got these, these guys, and there's 850 of them. Can y'all picture it with me? There's 850. They're on top of this mountain. The top of the mountain's fairly flat, but there would have been people everywhere watching this. And in this one part, and it's not quite to the crest of the mountain, they're all gathering, and it's like a pretty big field. It's probably, if you took this building and, and took the rest of this entire building and made it flat and grassy, that's probably what it would have looked like. And you had 850 of these guys, and they're praying, they're cutting themselves. Weird stuff happening. And they're saying, Baal, please bring fire from heaven. Please bring fire from heaven. This is the part that I love Elijah so much. This is what Elijah does, and this is why I believe we'd have been boys. Elijah's like, hey, hey dudes, is your God back there taking a pee right now? Because this is kind of weirding me out. And if y'all don't believe me, that's literally what it says. Is he back there urinating? Is he back there peeing? He's talking junk. I love it. He's back there talking noise like, hey, bro, maybe your God is taking a nap. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe your God forgot and he's not listening. Maybe today he's not on the prayer walk. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all are doing the prayer walk and your God forgot today because it's the odd days, not the even days. And he's just talking junk. And hours go by. And then we get up to verse 30 in 1 Kings chapter 18. And Elijah steps in his job. The one prophet of God on the planet is to bring fire down from heaven by praying. But he ups the stakes. And this is what he does. Verse 30 of 1 Kings chapter 18 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, come near. And so all the people had gathered around to see what had happened. The king was there. All these people are there. And so that's us. I want y'all to picture this. That's you. You're part of the crowd. We're part of the people. We're watching. We're not Elijah. We're not prophets of Baal. We're just part of the crowd. And we are Israelites, so we're part of God's people. But we've strayed away. We're not sure about this whole God thing. We're not sure about, like, why would God cause it not to rain for three and a half years? I'm kind of mad. So we're trying to figure this God thing out. Is this really what I want to do with my life? It said, all the people came near to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And so the prophets had thrown it down, or the other people had thrown it down, and there was, there was no altar. And this is what 31 says that they took the 12 stones according to the number of tribes, the sons of Jacob, so the 12 tribes of Israel, and he took 12 stones and he made a large altar. It would not have been small, a very large altar. Maybe not quite as big as this stage, but it would have been very good size. To whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. 
And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench. Now listen, this is crazy. He made a trench outside of the altar. So if it's almost as big as the stage, you can picture how big the trench would have been, about two feet deep, two feet wide, completely surrounding this altar. It says he made an altar in the name of the Lord. He made it, and then he made the trench as great as would contain two seas of seed. And so this is a lot. This is many, many gallons of water just to fill up the trench. And then this is what happened. He said he put the wood, so, so he's built the altar, and then he begins to stack the wood and cut the bull into pieces just like he's supposed to do and laid it on the wood. And then he, and then he said this, and this is where we come in, all right? And he said, I want you to take those four jars that are right there. And there were probably about 20 gallons, they're big jars, about 20 gallons each jar. He said, I want you to fill all four of those jars up, and I want you to pour them in. And they poured it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And, this, and then listen, he said, and then do it a second time. And they did it a second time, and they said, do it a third time. And so 12 jars, just like 12 stones, 12 jars of water. Now, this is, this is where truly we're a part of the story. We're in the crowd. We're looking out. We're on this mountain called Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, on the map in Israel, you can see it because I was just there standing on top of it. You can see it today. And it doesn't look real far from the Mediterranean Sea. It's actually about 20 miles. Now, 20 miles for us, right? Even if you're on top of the mountain, it takes a little bit of time to get down the mountain. What's that, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. In about an hour, if he asked me to get water, in about an hour in a car, going a pretty good rate of speed, dipping all those jars down in the water, putting them in the back of the truck, strapping it down, right, getting it back. In about an hour, give or take, both ways, because again, I could do it so in a couple hours. They didn't have cars. I don't know if y'all know this. This, is, I, this might be the breakthrough for you today. If it is, that's awesome. They didn't have cars a thousand years before Jesus. This is 3,000 years ago, right? They had the Camel Express, and that's weird, right, because we don't know how it worked, and we don't know how, you know, maybe the camels had the humps and they could get the water in there. I don't know. But, like, like they didn't have water. And listen, 20 miles away, it's not just 20 miles from here on the other side of Greenville. It's, like, bad 20 miles. It's mountains. And you have the Armageddon Valley in there and then back up to a mountain and all this stuff, and it's, it's awful looking. And their job at this point, what they had to do was fill up 12 jars. That's a lot of stinking water. Where'd the water come from? The only logical explanation with the Mediterranean Sea being 20 miles away this way and, and 100 miles away this way being the next body of water, maybe not quite that long, but much more than 20 miles, the only possible explanation for where the water came from was from the crowd. See, everybody would have had drinking water. You couldn't go an entire day without drinking water, right? So everybody would have had their Kirkland Signature bottle of water or canteen or whatever it was, right? And here's the deal. I want y'all to catch this because this is so important. This is it. Here's, here's why I believe we miss miracles and why we believe why we miss God-sized movements in our homes. I'm not talking just the church. I do believe it affects us collectively, <clears throat> excuse me, because we're a body. But I believe it's much bigger than that. I believe your home is often affected or not effective, affected, I should say. Not, we don't see great things happen because of this principle right here. We're in the crowd. We're part of it. We're God's people. We say we're mission-minded. We're not imposters. But at the time, we're deciding, we're deciding, is this God thing really what I want to do? And this prophet of God who's already caused it not to rain for three and a half years, who I'm kind of uncomfortable with, says, hey, this row back to here, I'm going to need y'all to come up right now. And in these four jars, I'm just going to need you to pour your water in. 
what? <laughs> Bro, this is all the water my kids have today. Are you kidding me? And we hold on to that water, right? And I think part of the crowd probably did that. I think that's why they did it three times. I don't have any proof of this. This is just my opinion, but I think that's why he did it three times because I think the people in the back and the people on the sides that were standing going, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this thing. This is a little bit weird. I'm, I'm going to hold on to my water. I'm going to hold on to mine. I need this water. It's my water. I need this water. I can't give up my water. Are you kidding me? Can't you just picture, can't you picture being there? Like, put yourself in their shoes. This is the last water you have. Honestly, if there's been a drought for three and a half years, this may be the most valuable thing that you own. Who knows how much water they had left because every river and every creek and every small body water would have been dried up. They did not have amazing pump stations then to provide fresh water. And so if you lived around the mountain or you had traveled for a day to get there because you knew this showdown was coming, that was so valuable. That was me coming up and saying, God, this is, this is my lifeline. This is what I need to survive. This is my money. This is my time. This is my talent. This is my, this is my relationship. This is my kids. This is everything. This is, this is who I am, and this is my control. This is me being the God of my life because I have the water. I have the supply. I am in charge. And guys, I'm just telling you, I preach Every single week, I believe what I preach. But so often what I've seen with myself is I love what I preach. I believe what I preach. And I walk out and I grab my water and I say, but it's still mine. It's still mine. It's still mine and I'm not letting it go. I'm not going to get rid of it. It is still mine. I'm still God. I'm still in charge of this life. I'm not trying to be your God. I'm just trying to be my God. I'm trying to be in charge. I'm not going to give up my water because this is me, myself, and I that is in charge of this. How many miracles have I missed? How many miracles have I missed? And here's the deal. Fire falling from heaven wasn't the miracle. Fire falling from heaven was an amazing miracle. And it was awesome, and it was a miracle. But the great miracle happened because of the faith of God's people. Now, I want you to see this. After they did it a third time, here's what happened in verse 35. The water ran down the altar. So can y'all picture it? It looks like a waterfall. It's so much water. It's 10 to 20-gallon jars times 12. It's, it's 120 to 240, depending on what book you read, what theologian you study. It's a lot of water. It's hundreds of gallons of water filling up a trench, filling up a round, soaking the bull that was cut up. So weird. Why would you waste water? That's what Jesus was asked when Mary poured the, the expensive perfume on his feet. Why would you waste that money? Mary, you could sell that. You could have so much money if you... Why would you waste that money? Why would you waste your money given to a church? Why would you waste your time giving to, to a church? Why would you, why would, that's not logical. It wasn't. <laughs> Can I just be honest? What I've realized in my life, a lot of times faith is illogical. A lot of times if you can explain it, it's not God's. And I want to explain it so bad. Maybe y'all aren't like me. I want to explain it so bad. I want logical explanations for everything that I do. But 2 Corinthians 2.5 says we walk by faith and not by Sight. sight. But we want to see. i got to know where we're going next. I need the roadmap laid out, Pastor Mark. Like, i got to know. 
Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And yet, what we say often is, God, if I knew where this water was going, I'd trust you for the miracle. But it's dry, and you're asking me to pour water on a sacrifice? It's so dumb. What are you doing, God? And this is, this is the thing. Throughout Scripture, oftentimes, if not mostly, mostly, God chooses to do things that don't make any sense. And when we take a step back, we say, God, I don't get this. I don't want to trust you in this. I want to trust me in this. I'm going to hold on. And guys, here's the thing. This is what I want you to know. If you hold on, you'll still have your water. But this is what you're going to miss, okay? If you hold on, you're still going to have your water, but this is what you're going to miss. Fire comes down from heaven right after Elijah prays. I can just imagine Elijah standing there. Being the prophet, I don't know if he even brought water. He brought the word. And watching hundreds of people bring water, pouring it in one small amount at a time till reaching 240 gallons. It took a lot, didn't it? And then standing there going, all right, God, for real, if you don't show up now, we are screwed. (laughs) Like, I'm definitely going to die. We're in big trouble because they just gave up everything. Guys, that's the point. Listen, that's the point that I want to live my life this year. Not that I'm going to die, not that people are going to come with pitchforks and and fires and kill me, but that I look and say, I'm desperate for you, God, because if you don't, no one will. And if no one does, they're going to die without you and spend eternity in hell forever and ever. It's got to be you, God. It's got to be you. It's got to be your movement. We need your reign right now. And fire came down from heaven after he prayed. And 850 prophets of Baal were killed and thrown into a pit just off of the mountain. And then my favorite part of the story, because the people, even reluctantly, came. You know, Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. What if we ever really had faith? What does that look like? It looks like taking your water and saying, I don't get this. I'm not sure. I don't know what this means. I can't really see past my hand. I'm nervous. I'm confused. I don't get everything that you're going to do, but I'm going to pour it out, and I'm going to trust that this is about you. And at the point that God's people, that's us, that's us, stop being imposters. Stop believing that it's about me at all and believing the miracle is because of my faith and not because of how awesome I am, but because God of the universe chooses. And I don't understand all this, but he chooses to use us at the point that we pour out our water. Here's what happens. And this is the true miracle because after a drought for three and a half years, fire is not a miracle. This is the miracle. Elijah said to the king, to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink. And so they left, and they only walked about 350, 400 yards up the mountain. There's a sound of a rushing rain. Now, this is still boldness. I know you've seen fire come down from heaven. But imagine it being totally blue skies. Off in the distance, 20 miles away, you can see the sea, but it is just a crisp, beautiful afternoon. And you say, I hear the sound of a rushing rain. And the king's standing there, and he's eating. He's got his people all around him, his entourage, and he's like, this dude's lost his mind because he's already made fire come down from heaven, and now he's telling me there's a rushing rain. So Ahab um, went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself. Can you picture it? He bowed himself to God, completely putting his face on the ground, his, his head between his knees, and this was his prayer, God, we must see rain. Can y'all picture it? We must see rain. I believe he was just begging God, begging God, God, your people 
have brought the water, but you have to bring the rain. Your people have brought the water, but you have to bring the rain. And this is what we need in our lives, right? Maybe, maybe, again, this is me, but I feel like it's a lot of us. I feel like this is why we throw our hands up and say, God, I want to see miracles in my life. Where are you? Hello? And we, human beings, grow tired with God of the universe who created by the voice of his mouth. He created everything in his hand. The Psalms say he can hold the universe, the entire stinking universe, in the palm of his hand. And yet we tell him, God, I'm getting tired. I'm getting weary. You're not doing this on my speed. This isn't fast enough. There's nothing. This is what his servant told him. He said, go look again. And seven times he kept going back. This man was persistent. Elijah said, keep praying. I believe that God's people have brought what they can do. So now only God can do it. And that's how we must live our lives We work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. At this point, we've done everything we can, God. It's on you. It's on you. And that seventh time, he said, behold. I need y'all to try to picture this with me. Y'all been at the beach before or something, and off in the distance, you look out, you see the tiniest little black cloud. Like, that dude might be working something up. Y'all know what I mean? There might be something there. And it says... But it was the size of a man's hand. And so looking out, if I just put my hand like this, I bet that cloud just looked out just tiny off in the distance. At that point, we're not taking the beach chairs in, are we? We're like, we got a little time. It's not how Elijah was. Elijah was a man of faith. Elijah was a man that said, you know what? I believe that the God that I serve is fixing to bring something and it's going to get crazy. And so instead of waiting to see the evidence, instead of waiting to see evidence so big, that it was about to rain and it was too late for the umbrellas, he saw just a glimpse of God's hand and he said, go tell him. Go tell him. You go tell him. It's coming. The rainmaker, and that is not me. That is not a pastor or a prophet. That is the God of the universe. The rainmaker has heard from his people and the miracle is because his people brought the water. So he's bringing the rain like a little cloud of a man's hand from the sea and he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariots. You better get them ready. You better get them while it's hot because it's fixing to get crazy. The rain's coming. Lest the rain stop you. And this is what he was saying. He wasn't saying a drizzle's coming. He was saying the rainmaker is fixing to make it rain big time. The God of the universe is fixing, fixing to bring a miracle that will blow our minds. And in a little while, the heavens grew black. And I don't know how long a little while is, but I love the faith of the man who came up, Elijah, and said, go, go right now. And in a little while, the clouds grew black and wind, and there was a great rain. And, and a book that I read about this said that it was not like it was some, even what we're having today, but it was like a tornado. It was so much downpouring rain that the God had poured out on them. I don't believe it damaged things. I just believe that God showed his presence in such a mighty way that I brought this much, let's just say water, 20 ounces of water, and God brought a downpour that would have filled in all the rivers and all the creek beds and all the things that we've struggled with, saying, God, why is this happening? Here's what I really believe, guys. Three and a half years earlier, if the people would have brought the water and said, God, we trust you. We don't know what this means, but we're putting our hearts with you. They could have saved three and a half years of drought. How many years of drought have you spent believing that God is real, but living a life of an imposter because we don't walk out mission-minded saying, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know where to go. I don't even have the answers for everything. I trust you. I'm going to pour this out. and This is it for me. 
I want to be a part of something that is the greatest move of God ever. I still believe what I said when I was 19, that I want to be a part of seeing God's hand do more than he did in the disciples and the apostles. And listen, this is what I really believe. What we're starting next week, I believe that God promises that we'll see greater things than anyone ever has. Can I tell you why I don't think we have? Can I tell you why I think the church is sick? I think it's this. I think for almost all of us, we have held on so tightly and we've made sure that we're the God of our own universe, of our own lives, making sure that we have the answer for everything and that we can, we can, we can figure it out. Guys, sometimes you can't figure it out and the only possible explanation is God. It has to be you or we are in trouble. It has to be you or you won't move. And guys, sometimes things are good, but here's the thing. I don't want good in my life. I'm tired of good. I'm tired of good. I want great. The only thing great on this planet is the Lord Jesus. And in order for me to see greater things than Jesus said even he saw, is by me taking everything that I am, listen, and saying, God, I'm pouring me out so that you can pour in. Because when I bring the water, God brings the rain. This is what I need you to know. This is what I need you to know. I believe for some of you, you've held on to things most of your life, whether it's a hurt, abuse. I don't know what it is for you. You can barely get by paying your bills, so you're holding on to that money, and it is your God. Your kids are the center of your universe, and I love my kids too, but they cannot be your idol that you worship above God. Your husband, your wife cannot be your rock. My wife is a rock in my life, but the rock, my fortress is what that literally translates, has to be God, or guess what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna pour this out if Leah's my rock. I'm gonna keep it for her. I can never keep all of me from God or I will be an imposter for the rest of my life. So for all of you that call yourself a Christ follower, here's the question. What is causing you to hold on to everything that you are? Because until you pour it out, we will never see miracles. Am I the only one in this room? And I would love to see it for four points, but much more for our lives because collectively we reach thousands and thousands of people. Am I the only one that believes it's ludicrous to hold on to something when God only asks us to give back what's already his and trust him that he'll do more? Does that mean you're going to be rich? I don't have a clue if you're going to be rich. I know God brings the rain and I don't know what the rain looks like in your life. What I know is this, I don't want to be a part of ordinary. I want to be a part of extraordinary, but it's not about me. The miracle depends on me because he takes our faith that is this small and makes it a rainstorm that is this big. What if God's people ever did that? Here's the thing that I kept thinking about. If Clemson or South Carolina, if Clemson or South Carolina were Oregon or Ohio State right now, just, just show of hands, how many of y'all would think we'd be quiet right now? Right? We'd be like, woo! My team just won the Final Four game. We're in the championship. And yet this is what we say constantly. I let my life show Jesus. Like, seriously, is Jesus not bigger than Clemson or Carolina? And, and, yet, and yet, this is what we say. I, I just let my life show. I'm not going to talk about it. Running your mouth is not just a cool slogan. It's this. My God is bigger than anything you can ask or imagine. And I'm going to tell everybody. If you tell them about four points, that's awesome. If this is your house of worship, you should. Because we're proud and we, we love each other. And this is the place that we choose to gather together. But it's so we can scatter to reach the world. It's so we can reach your school, 
in your home, in your neighborhood, in your construction site, in your truck that you work on, in every place. That's why we do what we do, because there are tens of thousands of people out there that must know the truth, but we care more about college football than we do Jesus. Until that changes, we're imposters. My call to you today is to take what you've got and pour it out and say, God, I'm tired of mundane and average and not seeing miracles. Guys, we have to work like it depends on us, but pray and pour like it depends on God. And at the point we do that, this is not a maybe. With all of me, I believe this. We will see God do things that literally blow our minds when we say, God, it's yours. And so there's twofold today. There's twofold for you. Twofold. For one, I believe there's people in this room, eye to eye, man to man and man to lady. I believe there's people in this room that have never truly said, God, everything is yours and I need to be saved. This is what salvation is. It's an expression of faith by saying, God, I trust you as my rock with my life. I give you my heart. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and it was in order to save all of us, including me. And today I give my life to him. For some of you, I believe that's what you should do right now. And for every one of you, and I believe it's a lot of you that are Christians, your call is this, and this is what I believe the recipe for the greatest year of your life is. It will be turmoil at times. It will be up and down and difficult. You will not have the answers a lot of times, but you will have the rainmaker, the rock, the fortress, the stronghold, the tower, the one that you can count on at your side at all times that loves you and sticks closer than a brother. And that's God. And I need y'all for every person in the room that will say, Pastor Mark, it's me that needs to stand up and commit to pouring out everything that I am and allowing him to have all of me. Will you pray with me? To the first group, I believe there's some here that if you're being honest, you would say, Pastor Mark, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And today I need to give him my heart and life. If that's you, just where you are, will you slip your hand up and say, Pastor Mark, I need Jesus. I need to be saved right now. I want to be a part of a move of God, but first I have to know God with my heart and with my life. I want to be saved. If that's you, will you just throw your hand up wherever you are? Say, Pastor Mark, that's me. That's me. I need to be saved. I want everybody to look at me. For every person in the room, what we've said is we're all followers of Jesus. Here's the deal. I don't care how far you were from God when you walked in here. If you're a follower of Jesus, even though we would call ourselves imposters, living a double life, Here's what's so awesome about the God that we serve. He doesn't hold those sins against you if you just stand and say, God, I want to give everything to you. He doesn't remember what you've done in your past, and that blows my mind. All God wants is all of you. And for so many of us, we've held on. So here's the question. Here's the question. How many of you, how many of you want to be a part of a miracle? And I don't mean just a church, but in your lives, in your homes, and everywhere. Want to be a part of a miracle? where you see God do things that just blow our minds. If that's what you want with your life, I'm inviting you in front of everyone to stand up and say, Pastor Mark, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in 2015. I'm gonna be a part of changing the world. If that's what you want, to your feet right now, I just want you to stand and say, Pastor Mark, that's me, that's me, I wanna change the world. God, you see so many 
you see so many people standing as an expression of faith that we have for you. Because God, we believe you are greater than we could ask or imagine. And God, this isn't a prep rally message. This isn't, um, this isn't intended to just get the troops fired up for this church. God, I do believe it affects Four Points. But God, you are so much bigger than Four Points Church. God, for every home that is represented in this room right now, I pray that you will bless, give comfort, give joy, give peace when it is so far away from the truth. And I pray that you will give us the strength and power to fight the enemy. Because God, I just believe that you want to change the world and you want to choose to use us. The miracle depends on our faith, God. You choose to wait for us. And so God, I pray that you'll let us be all that we can be because of, we, of our trusting in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.